Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, you see it's episode 78. Talking to Elijah Burke, also recapping Kansas, previewing Texas, hitting on everything in between. But before we do any of that, we got to pay homage to the man, the myth, the legend, current Cup Series champion, Martin Truex Jr. and Barney Visser in this week's Wayback segment number 78 with Papa Siegel. Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to this week's retrospective on number 78. I usually like to press the Wayback button hard for these segments, but few of you will be surprised that this week's spotlight shines on Martin Truex Jr. 180 races for MTJ in the 78 including 17 wins and a championship in 2017. That championship came for Barney Visser and his Furniture Row racing team. The story's been widely told, but you can't underestimate how much of a challenge it was to run a racing team based in Denver instead of the Charlotte area where almost all are headquartered. The logistical and engineering challenges Furniture Row overcame to field competitive teams and win that championship, make it all the more impressive. There's not much I can tell you that you don't already know about Truex. You know he comes from a racing family, including his father, who was a winner in the Bush North Series, and his brother Ryan, who was a K&N East champion. You know about his long relationship with Sherry Pollux, her ovarian cancer battle, and their foundation that supports children with pediatric cancer. You likely didn't know that MTJ is one of Mama Siegel's and I think Davy's girlfriend Robin's favorite drivers. But no, Mama Siegel, I don't know if or when he plans on putting a ring on her finger. That's all for this week's shorter version of the Way Back When segment. Was that better for you, Duve? Or are you going to tell me it's too short now? Back to you. I still don't know why Martin hasn't put a ring on it, but ain't my decision, and it's none of my business, so I won't say nothing more. As I said, Kansas recap coming. We're going to, unfortunately, talk about the package. Preview Texas a little bit. Speak with my boy Elijah Burke, A1 homie, going back to the start. He is the star of the show today, and we will start it, as always, with a good old-fashioned... Round of eight opener from Kansas Speedway. One of the more frustrating watches, especially at the end of the race with this specific aerodynamic rules package. I will say this. You can you can still enjoy the race as a whole while being frustrated with a portion of it. And this portion that I was frustrated with and a lot of other people were just so happened to be the end of it. Because the air bubble was just too much to overcome. So let's fast forward to about, I don't know, 45 laps ago. Caution comes out. Everybody pits. Joey Logano second. Kevin Harvick's in the lead. 
22 beats the four off of pit road. He gets co- to control the restart. He gets lane choice. He clears Harvick. Harvick is clearly faster than the 22 the entire run. Like, it's clear as day. Uh, I actually talked to my mom at dinner about this. She's like, why couldn't Kevin pass? And I tried to explain, and I'm going to have to explain to my grandma later this week because she was kind of at a loss as well. But if you listen to this podcast, you you probably understand why he couldn't pass. It was because of the dirty air. Every time Harvick went high, Logano drifted up high, took the air off of Harvick. Every time Harvick went low, Logano went down low, took the air off of Harvick. Straightaway speed, four was way quicker. Corner speed, four was considerably quicker. But the fact that Logano had the clean air, could maneuver his car wherever he needed to, as he should, that gave him the upper hand and gave him the victory. So Joey Logano wins at Kansas. Probably one of, if not the biggest wins you can have all year besides the championship race. He is now into the championship four. This is his third win of the season, first since the pandemic. And that's crazy because I feel like his other two wins, one was at Phoenix, by the way, Feels so, so long ago, like another lifetime. But now, man, he's in the Final Four, the fifth time in his career, all in even years, by the way, 14, 16, 18, and now 20. How about that finish? Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's obviously a lot that goes into that, um, you know, especially when you're racing the four, whose car was kind of the complete opposite of ours. He was very fast on the straightaway, um, where ours is more of a, a cornering car. And when you have clean air, in front of you and, and like Kevin did as well, being so close to the lead, uh, the advantage probably goes to the trimmed car, uh, which, which is what the four has. And, um, you know, at that point, you just kind of hope for dirty air and tires to wear out a little bit. Uh, and then that's where our car should start to excel. Um, so knowing that in your mind, you try to hold them off for as long as you can. You think if you can hold off 15 laps or so, maybe it'll get a little easier. It didn't. <laughs> he hung on there for a long time. Uh, and it was just catching me so fast on the straightaways. And it was a matter of just picking the right lanes when you get there. And, um, you know, my spotter TJ did a great job up there in the, in the, wherever he stands now, I don't know if they'll put him on top of the roof anymore, but wherever he was, he got a good view and was able to, to give me a lot of information. And then, you know, from there, honestly, you stare out the, the mirror and where he goes, you go, and you try to throw some dirty air up there. Um, you know, make sure that he doesn't get to, you know, break the plane. As I say, it. you know, he gets to the left or the right uh of you and, and starts to be able to side draft you from there um that's the biggest thing is just trying to hold that that position i was intrigued by joey's answer here on whether he was asked if that finish was fun for him and then also i asked him if he thought that he was going to be able to hold off the four car at the end no i mean it's fun afterwards it's very intense you're just uh you're, i mean it's fun now don't be wrong I, I if i'm being honest i don't have fun driving a race car i have fun winning that's that's what I that's what I enjoy doing, um, you know, because this that's what this is at this point. If I want to go have fun, I'll go to a go kart track and have fun. Uh, this that's not what this is about. This is about winning. This is a job. This is about you know putting food on the table for not only my family but countless others that help this race team. So uh, no, I don't look at it as fun. Um, I look at it as a job to win. Joey, did you think that Kevin was going to be able to get by you, or were you pretty confident in your ability to keep him there with that air bubble trailing? I didn't think about it. Um, on that point, I, I just was trying to do my job at that point. Um, you know, I knew Kevin was fast earlier in the race. He just went underneath me and drove right by me. And it kind of really caught me off guard how fast his car was. Um, so knowing that I thought, well, yeah, I better find a, find a way to keep him back there. Cause he's very, very fast. Uh, when he gets clean air in that car, 
um, to the point like when he was in front of me, I couldn't draft him. You know, it, it, I got I couldn't catch him down the straightaway. It's like he was catching me when I was behind him. So I knew uh, the trim level on his car. And um, at that point, you know, it's just I, I thought I had a better chance after the first 15 laps to holding him off. I thought I might would drive away a little bit. I never did. <laughs> so uh, the pressure was on the whole time. Thank you. Yep. Crew chief Paul Wolf is having a pretty solid start with Joey Logano. This year has been pretty good for them. I wasn't sure how the two were going to mesh, especially during the pandemic. And just finished talking with my boy, Andrew Curland. He actually said that essentially, you know, with the pandemic, they weren't able to, to talk a lot in person. And that may have hindered their growth a little bit, which I think is a good point. But he is probably the most aggressive crew chief when it comes to strategy. Joey's probably the most aggressive driver when it comes to maneuvers on track. You pair those two drivers, pair those two guys together, you got a Final Four berth in their first year working together. Well, I think, uh, obviously, his talent. He, he's got the talent. He's shown that. Um, but his his drive, motivation, never give up. Um, you know, if you just kind of look at today's race, if, through the middle part of the race, we kind of had faded there, lost some track position. It was very easy to you know, give up on the day, but, uh, you know, we kind of took two tires there, got, uh, got ourselves back up into some clean air. And then I was like, well, the car's not too bad here, you know? And then, and then ultimately, uh, you know, the pit crew on the four tire stop got us off pit road first. And then from there, you know, he knew, he knew what he had to do. You know, he's smart enough. Uh, he knew the four was a very fast car, especially short run. Um, seemed to seem to have less drag on his car. Um, but he's, he's pretty, pretty smart. Obviously some people call him a good blocker, whether you want to be, be, be good at that or not. He, he is. And in these situations, he knows where to position his car to dirty up the air the most to affect the guy behind him. And, and especially with this style of racing anymore. I mean, we ran wide open, I think all, but a, a few laps maybe where, he had to lift for some lap traffic, but I mean, you're running wide open and just steering your car on the racetrack, trying to, you know, like I said, dirty up the air for the force to get him in a position where he's got to start lifting. So, um, he's, uh, like I said, very talented, but, uh, also is aware of what's going on and, and, you know, with a lot of experience behind the wheel. So, um, different in certain ways, but, um, both obviously championship caliber and, and, um, very capable of, of putting this shell pens oil forward in, in victory lane down in Phoenix. So as I said, and as we all saw, Harvick was clearly so much faster than the 22. Is that frustrating to know and not really being able to do anything about it? I think it's, it's, it's how we race for sure. You know, I think, um, you know, you just, you, you become used to, to that part of it and, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, um, you know, it's just a, a scenario that you just, that you've just become used to. That's, that's part of what we race. And, you know, I definitely don't make the rules and, you know, just try to do the best that we can each week with, with whatever situation that we have and, and, uh, go from there. So, yeah, you know, he did a, he did a great job of putting his car where he needed to. And, and we just, uh, never had an opportunity to capitalize on, on anything, um, you know, from a mistake side of it. I can say I was frustrated watching it, um, and as I said, it can be entertaining and also maddening at the same time, and I want to say one thing too. Just because you're complaining about the finish doesn't mean that you hate NASCAR and you want it to die. You can have constructive criticism for something that you love and wanted to improve, 
and still wanted to succeed. Breaking news. I know it's crazy to hear, right? So look, the race, it was good. It wasn't the best race I've ever seen in my life. The finish was among the most frustrating that I've seen in my life. It seems like it may have been a turning point in terms of the fan reaction to the package, but nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. It's going to stay the same for the rest of this year and all of next year. And then in 2022, we can hope that the next-gen car aids in some of that passing woes. But right now, nothing's going to change. Before we get to Elijah, we got to hit on the other series that were in action this weekend at Kansas. For the ninth time this year, nine, crazy. Chase Briscoe totally dominates the Xfinity race. And he will have a chance to race for the championship in Phoenix. I'd say that is way, way, way above well-deserved. It was definitely a, a really good night and uh, just awesome to start, you know, both rounds of the playoffs the way we did, you know, to, to dominate. And, you know, the car we ran tonight was actually the same car we ran at Fe- or at, at Vegas. So I wish this thing we could take it to Phoenix because it's, it's been unbelievable this year. It's, I think it's won three races and ran second in the other one. So uh, just hats off to everybody at Seward Haas uh, to be able to bring the caliber of cars that we brought to the playoffs. Uh, hopefully we can continue this the next three weeks and obviously most importantly at Phoenix. Truck Series was in action as well, and GMS Racing's Brett Moffitt finally gets off the schneid, earns his first 2020 victory, had some contact with his teammate Zane Smith late in the going, racing for the lead and the win. So Zane did not finish too well, but he's still looking okay to advance to the championship four. Moffitt, he cares about that a little bit, but overall, he's happy to have a chance at the title. Definitely relief. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's go time in the season, and... We've had a pretty rough one on our 23 team. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of relief to get to victory lane and do it in such a high pressure situation. And uh, knowing that now we have a shot at racing for a championship. I mean, honestly, it's just the tire combination and this racetrack this year is super slick. Um, So, I mean, you were just all over the place. And then when we caught the 38, um, I was wanting the top and he was not giving it to me. And that allowed the 21 to really close in on us there. Um, before that, we were kind of matching each other. And um, when I got caught up behind him, it was just a handful for sure. So uh, a little frustrated in that situation. But I um, apologize to 21 for, for the poor block on my behalf and costing him a good good finish. And uh, hopefully we can move on from that and keep building and work towards a championship. Also in the Truck Series event, Haley Deegan made her Truck Series debut and had a lot more fun than she has all year in the Arkham Menard Series. She finished 16th, which is really, really respectable for her. She said she wanted to finish all the laps, which she did, was aiming for a top 15 as a, a little bit more of a lofty goal. She was only one off of that, so solid debut for Haley Deegan, I'd say. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was very hard because there was no practice. Like my first time starring that truck was taking the green, uh, coming off pit, pit road, taking the green flag. So it was definitely difficult. And my expectations of how the car was going to handle or how the truck was going to handle um, based on what my crew told me was not how it handled <laughs> uh, the first um, the first stage. So we were able to tune it up to how I liked it and get better every single time um, we pitted. So I think at the end of the day it was... It was crazy. I had so much fun and I can't wait to do more of it. I think it's the field. I think it's, there's so many trucks in the field compared to what a competitive ARCA field is. You go to an ARCA race, a competitive ARCA race has around seven to 10 really good cars. You go to a truck race, there's about 20 really good trucks. And so uh, you go out there and it's just so much more of a high intensity racing, so much more competitive. And that's something I feel like I need to better my career in the future. 
and it was announced during the truck broadcast, but speculated before uh, for a while, that she is going to be running full-time next season with DGR Crosley in the truck series. So it'll be fun to see her every single weekend on the National Series next year. And also at Kansas, the Arkham Menard Series wrapped up their year. Corey Heim wins his first Arca race in his 17th start to close out the year for Venturini Motorsports. Not sure what's on the horizon for this young man in terms of next year, but getting the win to close out the year. Kevin Reed Jr. is crew chief on the box. Congratulations to him. Pretty solid way to close it out, I'd say. Oh, it was awesome. Um, I knew right from the first five laps, we had a really good race car. My uh, custom Toyota was rolling. Um, got right to the front there within, I think, 20 laps. And just from there, we were just uh, trying to go under pace control and um, ended up just putting it to him. Uh, my, my crew chief, Kevin Jr., did a great job and uh, couldn't be happier to get uh, Toyota's 100th Arca win at Kansas Speedway. He finished second in the race, but he finished first in the standings. Brett Holmes is your 2020 Arca Menard Series champion, his first career championship. And this is pretty impressive for this small family-run team to beat the likes of Venturini Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, GMS every now and then in ARCA. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty big accomplishment. DGR, you got to hand it to Brett Holmes. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. You know, um, like I said, this is something we've been uh, working for for a few years now. And just uh, the way we did it was different. A lot of people and starting our own team and um, made for a lot of tough days. So for it to finally pay off or for our dues to pay off um, is, a, is a really good feeling. So before we open it up to the members of the media, um, you know, this hasn't been the easiest road to hoe for you and your dad and, and your race team. A couple of years ago, uh, you were you were so frustrated with how it was going, you parked your race car and you and you kind of rebuilt your race team from the ground up. And here we are two short years later and you are celebrating a championship. Um, it, it, did you think when when that was going on two years ago that this would ever be a possibility in your wildest dreams to to celebrate a championship well you know i don't know i mean i um i think i i knew in the back of my head that i had the potential to do it but it uh you know those those couple of years there especially in 2018 it got so so rough and just uh you know i, I thought I, I mean i thought about quitting at some at some point and that that's a really tough thing to admit and say to a sport you love, but, um, it's the truth. And, you know, if it weren't for, uh, you know, my friends and family to, to keep pushing me and, uh, this team that we've, uh, we've got last year, <clears throat> but, uh, if it weren't for them, like, you know, they, they gave me that confidence back that I've, um, that I lost for a few years. And that's, uh, that's a really good feeling. And knowing you can come into each race, um, with, with a chance to win is, uh, you know, just that makes it that much better. Hey, Brett, congrats on the championship. Can you take me back to preseason and what the conversations that you had with your team and your family were leading into the year? And I assume that a championship was not really among those conversations, or was it? No, I mean, it, it really wasn't. Um, we uh, we were, you know, just looking to do a part-time schedule in ARCA and uh, run mainly the bigger races, the uh, speedway races, and, um, and uh, hopefully start, you know, uh, move into trucks. But you know, when the uh, pandemic hit, it, it changed a lot of things. A lot of manufacturers shut down for a little bit and really condensed the schedule. It made it really hard to uh, to plan logistically to do that and and uh, in the shop to 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 do something like that to pull that off. So that's um, that that's when we th started looking at things a little bit differently. And you know, we updated a car, one car, and it it really turned our season around. We we started running up front, top three, top five every weekend, and 
after we came back racing after the break, it was just like, you know, man, I think we're good enough to win this thing. So we uh, we kept running good, kept running good, and we won at Kansas earlier in the year and uh, really narrowed the gap in points and and took the lead over eventually. And that's uh, that's that's what we had our sights set on the whole time. You mentioned that you had the possibility of moving up to the truck series this year before the pandemic threw a wrench into things from that aspect for next season. Are you guys focused on trying to run it back here in Arca or do you have aspirations to dabble in trucks or Xfinity series moving forward? Uh, you know, I, I don't know yet. I mean, I think, um, you know, we've, uh, I think we're still going to be part of the Arca series. You know, I, I don't know in what capacity, but um, I definitely, you know, still want to run some races and, um, but like I said, I think we, we've got the people and to, to, uh, to move up and we've got the potential to do it. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I know I'm saying all this right now, but it's a lot, it's another thing to pull it off. So, um, you know, I don't know what the off season and next year is going to hold entirely yet. I know what I want to do. Um, but it's, uh, like I said, it's a very, racing is a very tough sport. If, if, um, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So, um, that's our uh, that's our goal, and I think with the standard we had set for ourselves before that was to win a championship and win some races. So um, we uh, we accomplished that goal, and um, we're looking to set set some new ones. Real quick, what are you going to do to celebrate tonight? Uh, like I told a few people, I think um, I think I'm going to go back to the hotel for a little bit, and I think I'm going to go to the casino. I may lose all my money, I may gain some, <laughs> but I'm going to have fun either way. So. <laughs> Soak it in. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. And coming up short was last week's guest on the podcast, Michael Self. Unfortunately, just a little bit short of getting that championship. He was actually pretty introspective in the post-race press conference. Seems to be perhaps done with stock car racing in terms of ARCA. We'll see what the future holds. Maybe just time to time for me personally to, to try maybe a little bit different avenue. Hey, Michael, reading, reading the tea leaves with what you were saying earlier in terms of next year, do you know what you want to do? Do you have any specific aspirations in terms of going the, the coaching route on a more consistent basis? Do you want to stick with stock car racing? Do you want to pursue sports cars? Is anything really on the table at this moment? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. You know, I'm not going to say a tremendous amount. Um, there's, there is one opportunity that's really, really attractive to me that's um, going to gonna include some driving, but also, you know, I, I talked to you, Davey, about finishing school. I'll be finishing school next year, getting my, my degree in business administration. The last couple of years working with Sinclair as a sponsor, um, th there's an opportunity that may arise that gives me a, a management position to put my, my degree to use and kind of rise up in, in the business world, which is something that I've had a lot of aspirations to do and would like to, to take my experience with Sinclair and in school and, and go apply that. Um, so there is something in the works that I'm, I'm really, really excited about. Coaching something I really enjoy. Um, I, I've tremendously enjoyed my time in the Trans Am TA2 series, working with my clients there, um, been able to make a, a really nice home there and, and have some really good clients over there. And I hope that continues um, no matter what happens next year. And, you know, I, I still enjoy stock car racing. I, I still like this style of racing, especially on the road courses with the, the new schedule, having six road courses on it next year. I mean, that's incredibly attractive to me. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun to show up at some of those and try and compete. And we just got to see what doors open up. Whatever the future holds, best of luck. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Davey. Interview time. Here is my boy, Elijah Burke, world-renowned digital media strategist, Chip Ganassi Racing employee, A1 homie. 
I'm not going to tell you everything we talked about because you can, A, read it in the video description, video description, episode description, and two, you're about to hear about it right now. But we talked about a lot, including the video that made him famous and got him his job now, which he considers a bit of a dream job. So I really enjoyed this chat, and I thank Elijah for his time. Without further ado, here's my boy, Elijah Burke on Victory Lane. I'm not sure if this is the first return guest on Victory Lane, but I will say that doing some research last night in the archives, he was a guest on the first iteration of Victory Lane when I was in college, and I have had him on the second iteration of Victory Lane sitting on his old apartment couch in Concord recapping a race, but this is the first time that we're getting to dive a little bit deeper with the man, the myth, the legend, an A1 homie from day one, Elijah Burke, world-renowned digital media strategist at Chip Ganassi Racing, and then I wrote in parentheses, A1 homie. Elijah, welcome back to the show. How the hell are you? I miss you. Bro, you just left me with a a huge (laughs) overstatement, but I truly appreciate it. I'm doing great, and you're right. I think the first time that we had this podcast together on Victory Lane Mm -hmm. was you were in college. Mm -hmm. I was still in college. I remember doing that, I think, from my (laughs) room at home in my house in Rochester. So this is like a blast in the past to come back. I'm excited to be here, man. I think it was actually after Kyle Larson won. um, I forget which race he won, but I remember I was looking up like on Twitter, whenever we mentioned each other and like random things. And I think it was after Larson won a race. Cause I think the title of it was like Larson wins. And so does Elijah. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what race it was, but I think that it was after he won a certain race. You, you must've remembered. Cause I mean, probably was what 2018, 2017, something like that. Maybe I Michigan. Think it was, I think it was Michigan. It was a, the second win. Probably. In- 2017 i remember listening to that podcast after we recorded it on the way home from class on my commute home (laughs) and i'm having ptsd right now because i could not stand college and i'm getting a little like flashbacks right now so let's move on yes sir say no more i do whatever the guest wants um so listen the first question i have is that um are you officially a rich boy now because you you're living in lake norman instead of concord you know davy as much as i'd like to be a rich boy with hundred bands. Um, I'm not, I'm, I generally upscaled my apartment from the last one. I think it's a natural progression. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not on the lake. Uh, I think there's like a 40 year waiting list. They're like Bristol night race tickets. Just tell people that you are though. I, okay. I'm on the lake. Jetton park <laughs> is literally my backyard. Um, I'm the only apartment here. No one else deserves to be around us. Me and my yes. roommate Mikey. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's, I'm not a rich boy, but this apartment is, is pretty nice. And compared to the last one, it makes me feel a little bit like a rich boy. So I like it. How is it being probably an IndyCar champion after this weekend? We we can probably say that with almost certainty. I can. With Scott Dixon at St. Pete and having a cup driver in the round of eight in the NASCAR playoffs, it probably has to be a pretty good time to be an employee of Chip Ganassi Racing right now. Yes. Now I've made sure that there is a uh, wood installed on my computer desk here because whenever somebody mentions Scott Dixon winning the championship, give me I a knock. knock on wood. Yeah. You can probably hear Thank it you. every time because I think the scenario is if new garden gets the max points, like pole, most laps led wins the race. Dixon has to finish ninth. And I think if new garden finishes second without all that stuff, I think Dixon has to finish like 23rd. 
And I know that Team Penske has been phenomenal in IndyCar for many, many, many years. And it usually comes down to us versus them or Andretti Autosport in there. So Dixon's a mastermind, though. I almost think he's like a robot half the time. He's just yeah. always clicking things off. Um, and it's been a little bit difficult last few weeks. But, you know, after opening up the race season with four wins for Ganassi, three straight for Dixon, like I think anything is not good compared to that you know like at least that that's like that's a standard you're setting it's a high bar yeah it's a really high bar to set so i'm hopeful on that and then with kurt i didn't see the engine failure coming at at kansas maybe it was a cold temperatures but uh i think we we're good at texas martinsville you know a little bit of a, a coin toss on that one i think just from how the one car usually ran there but i think texas will be the place we can probably go in and Kurt can go in and do something because that one team would be fast. Well, it's further than anybody really thought Kurt was going to get. I told you I was one of the only people that had him in my actual round of eight. So I'm a Kurt believer. Hi, Mikey. What's up? <laughs> my roommate walking in from his lunch break, I think. Um, I, yeah, I know. You were the one person who put Kurt in the round of eight on your grid. Everyone I'm else had him out. You're a believer. I'm a believer, too. I had him in the championship four because I feel like I just, if you do it, you might you speak to, it in yeah. existence. I can't go against it, but um, <laughs> I, I think it's a possibility. We'll see how it goes. Let's get back to Scott Dixon for a hot sec, because, I mean, we're, we're NASCAR guys. We know that at heart, but working at CGR, an incredible company, not only do you guys race in NASCAR, but, of course, IndyCar and sports cars. Have you had the chance to interact with Scott at all? And if you have, how great is his accent in person? <laughs> it's it's funny. Like, it, it almost sounds like I'm talking to the guy who narrates the Outback Steakhouse commercials. Um <laughs> But he, he's he's pleasant. Like you'd expect somebody who's a, a five, possibly six time champion to be more like, you know, not not as down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. And he has, you know, he's got three kids now. Um, he's very close with his wife. He's a family man. And when you talk to him, you get that. It's not like, oh, yeah, I've won five championships like shoo shoo. You know, he's very, uh, very personable. And I think that's helped him be the, the guy he is today what, what you get you know in the public eye which is the humble some, somewhat soft-spoken type of scott dixon never really cocky um is the same person you get uh behind the camera and and you know in private so i've interacted with him a few times not really this year because of covid and everything but um he's been a pleasure to work with every time we've had to interact he's the goat right he's got to be he's i think he is the goat I, i'm there's still Andretti and there's still Foyt, but modern day, modern day for Dixon sure. Dixon is a goat. Yeah, like that's what I say too. I mean, I I never saw Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt race. I mean, well, Dale was racing, but I was four years old. But like modern day NASCAR, like Jimmy's the goat, and I think overall he is too, just because of the iteration of cars, the different playoff formats, the track type, like everything. But that's a that's a whole another conversation for a. Well, different we could have day. a whole other podcast on that. Yeah, we can. <laughs> Also on Kurt, um, and we're going to get to Kyle Larson later on the show, but with Kurt specifically, like, I mean, you've, you've watched the sport since you were super little. So, and we have like a similar trajectory where it's like you watch it early, you grow up wanting to make a career out of it. And here we are, like one of us is trying to, and one of us is, um, but Kurt specifically, you are able to work with him pretty closely and you have a good relationship with him now. But, I mean, even five, seven years ago, he was still kind of that hothead Kurt Busch figure that you see yelling at reporters and 
being suspended for certain things here and there. The transformation that Kurt has made off track specifically, but that's leading to his on track performance as well. That's like one of the most underappreciated, I think undercovered from a media perspective storylines that we've seen from a champion and a future hall of famer of NASCAR ever. I mean, the, the fact that he's gone from what he was to what he is, even just listening to him post-race after he blew an engine at Kansas, like you're telling me Kurt 10 years ago would not have been throwing everybody under the bus and having some expletive lace tirades. No way. So the transformation that he's done, and I'm sure that you've been able to see that through in person, that got to be pretty remarkable too. Yeah. I think the one thing that I've noticed in every instance where I work with him is he, the media respects him first and foremost, the media, a hundred percent respects Kurt and they, they know what he's been through. They know what kind of career he's had. And he's at a point where he's, he's got um, stability right now. He's, he's running well for us. He's performing um, even above where he, I think needs to, even in the one car, he has taken that car and, and taken this team. And, you know, just from, from my time there, I've noticed that there's a whole new life brought to it. And he's the kind of guy where, he's always thinking he's always had ideas and tries to like be involved in every single part of, uh, of the race team, which is great. It shows involvement it shows care. It shows um, that he really, he really wants to be the best driver he can be. And he'll, he'll talk to me like, Hey, I got this idea to shoot this video. Like, do you think this is cool? I need your like creative That's eye cool. or like creative brain on it. And I'm like, I, there are not a lot of drivers and I, I'm only two and a half years into the sport, but there are not a lot of drivers that I hear about or have seen that really come up to you and want to initiate that kind mm -hmm. of thing, at least just from the digital perspective. And oh, I know, sure. I know everyone else he's worked with um, even, even back in the days where you may say like, that was like old Kurt Bush, you know, I I've never heard one story where someone's like, I didn't, feel appreciated working with him you know he might have been you know a, a different Kurt in front of the camera back then but he was always he always treated everyone with respect from from my knowledge at least with us he's always treated everyone with respect everyone with care he goes the extra mile he knows how to take care of uh, partners and sponsors and all that he's like watching from my childhood to now he's seems like a totally different person but yeah. the stories I hear he's just he, he's matured. He's great to work with. I have nothing but good things to say. Yeah. Th that's an interesting perspective too, from, from a vantage point of somebody that literally works with him in the day to day. And that's cool that he like pitches you with video ideas and stuff. That's pretty cool. What about yeah. the Talladega nights thing that he and Matt McCall did? Was that your idea or was that Kurt's brainchild? No, that was actually gear and had some ideas cause they uh -huh. were the primary sponsor on his car for the Talladega race. So I believe they wanted to put together some, um talladega nights type stuff and i'm like you know some people might say that talladega nights content is a little bit um i don't want to say dated but you know overdone Stale. maybe yeah but i i personally think that talladega nights stuff always wins on social because it's i agree it continues to, it continues to keep going and going and going and it's just it's so funny so they put that together and he and matt mccall executed it perfectly where it's like it's a little bit cringy because you know they're not good actors, yeah. but it's hilarious because they're not supposed to be actors, and exactly. it's it's just funny. It was good stuff. It reminded me of like a Step Brothers skit 
<laughs> it was yeah. like so funny. It was cringeworthy, but in the best kind of way. Yeah. So you're doing awesome stuff at CGR right now. I know the digital media strategist is your title. And I saw that on your email signature when you fancily emailed me back and said, looking forward to our chat tomorrow. <laughs> so what does that mean specifically? Because from the outside, I see you making memes. I see you sometimes posting serious content on social. Sometimes you make video game renders. Like, what does digital media strategist mean? Take me through your day-to-day. Yeah, so really, I, I had to come up with that title for myself because I was originally the business intelligence coordinator doing right. sales, and it just didn't fit when I transitioned to social media. So I think for me, it's it's social media is nothing if you don't really have a strategy with it. You know, you can, you can post all the stuff you want, and it can be good, but if you have a strategy that's how you stand out from other people. And, you know, you make your partners happy, you make your team happy, you make the fans happy, which is at the end of the day, what social is about that kind of communication. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it's like, you know, getting up every morning, researching what has been done, what hasn't been done, um, getting some creative, like brain ideas, just flowing and trying to create graphics, you know, look at meme culture and see what's trending and try to like play off of that. Um, taking every moment and trying to capitalize on it instantly. I mean, you notice like if something happens in a race, you got NASCAR, you got NASCAR on Fox, you got NASCAR on NBC, you got the teams, everyone comments on it and tries to put out that content immediately. And if not be the first person to do it, because you want that initial, like you want to be the first person to break that news. So for me, seeing anything that happens and being like, can we be the first person to do this? You know? So we, uh, we're, we're just first. I mean, Chip Ganassi likes winners. So I feel like if you're first on social media to do something cool, you're a winner. So I kind of take that kind of, uh, that route with it, but that stuff, you know, videos, you could be shooting a video for a partner. One day you could be shooting video for a driver. You could be flying somewhere to do something. If it's not COVID, you could be going to the track to shoot content for the weekend. Mm-hmm. There's so much stuff. There's esports. There's, um, there, there's a lot that goes into it. And there's endless possibilities. It's never wake up, do this, do that, go to bed or clock out, I guess. Um, It's more like, okay, I have 15 things to do today. I could have five to do tomorrow. And if I want 15 more, I just have to think of them myself. And the possibilities are endless. As long as you, you know, do it with respect to your audience, your partners, your race team, your fans. So there's a lot of different things going on, Davey. That's good for you, though, because I, I take you as the guy that could not work a nine to five job in a cubicle like that's too stagnant for you. So having something new to do every day and I'm the same way, that's right up your alley. Yeah, it's I think our you know generation is shifting away from that modern practice of nine to five. And I love it. I mean, even sometimes at the office, it's a strict like uh, eight to five type work day. But mm-hmm. there are there are certain days when, you know, it, it's it's OK if if you're um, you know, you got to work certain hours and go fly out in the afternoon and go somewhere, or you're gone for the weekend and you're working different hours in the track. So it's definitely changing, but, uh, it's, it's fits my, my personality and my work ethic. So you mentioned that you started at CGR as a business intelligence coordinator. What was that role like? And why did you make the change? I guess not super eagerly, but somewhat quickly into the role that you're in now this one seems to fit you a lot better so i assume that had a big part to do with it yeah it's it's definitely that i think even when i started i knew that i was going to be better on social media but 
I was willing to take any job they would give me. If I had yeah. to sweep the floors, I would have did that at Canasta because I knew it meant that much. I don't doubt it. Yeah, no, you you know. Yeah. And I knew it, it would mean a lot just to be at that kind of corporation with that kind of equity and professionalism. So when I started over in sales, um, I was originally hired to try to generate leads uh, for partnerships and sponsorships for the team. Shout out to ComServe. Shout out to ComServe. Yes, that was the one um, that was that generated and ended up on a car, at least from my perspective, um, with Kurt Busch in Atlanta last year. But I think that it just made me realize um, how difficult it can be to, to sell. I mean, in, in racing, it's we know the environment. It's difficult to sell for any sport uh, with the environment that we're in right now, but it's, it's difficult in racing, um, you know, but it's getting a little easier, I think for, uh, you know, the different values that NASCAR is adding, um, for the teams and stuff like that, but it just gave me a, a big respect. So trying to generate leads, come up with ideas, you know, uh, see what we can do. And, and here and there, I would go to the social department and I'd tell the girl who was running, I'd be like, Hey, I got this idea. Can we do this? And sometimes they'd be like, well, no, because X, Y, Z, and I'd learn something. And sometimes I'd be like, well, yes, we can do this because X, Y, Z. And then I'd be like, oh, cool. Like I have some kind of extra value. So I started to do like half and half sales and social. And then it just made sense where it's like, she had so much work to do. She needed help. And we were hiring someone new for, for sales. So I'm like, mm -hmm. perfect transition. And here I am now. So I was going to ask you what, what was one thing that you learned from that business intelligence coordinator role, but it seems like the main takeaway for you was how hard it really is to sell sponsorship in the sport. Cause I mean, like you said, growing up watching it and everything, you kind of take for granted seeing a sponsor on a car and a wrap or a decal or something like that. And then seeing all the grunt work, the blood, the sweat, the tears that goes behind that, it gives you way better of an appreciation for how that sausage gets made. Yeah, I think it's it, the people that um, can sell well, at least from my time and, and the people that I've known are people that have been in the sport for a while and understand how business and, and sales and marketing really works. It may not even be hard to, you know, get maybe even in contact with a company. That part might be easy for you in a certain circumstance. But I think mm -hmm. just knowing um, how to present exactly the value you're getting. Cause NASCAR is a lot of value. IndyCar is a lot of value, um, for partners, but I think just presenting that cause it's such a different type of sport, um, you know, and the times that we're in, it, it can be difficult, I think. And I learned that and I learned how to refine that kind of stuff and, and shape it. And, um, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near close. And I've had kind of like a year and a half off from it since I switched over to the social media. So I'm yeah. sure I can go back and learn some more, but, um, I, I kind of learned how, how much of a respect I have for the people that, that do it. Um, just like I do with anyone that works with the company. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's good to get that appreciation for people, you know, at different areas of things. I mean, from my perspective, like, you know, I want to be the guy who's on camera, but working in production and stuff like that gives you an appreciation for all the behind the scenes aspects of things. Like, you know, being an NASCAR fan, you like a driver, but you don't know how the driver gets to that point and how the sponsor gets on that car and how the car itself gets there in the hauler. There's so many different things that go along with that. So learning all that stuff and gaining a better appreciation for that from your perspective must have been fun. But I want to go back to where this all got started for you. People remember you specifically, Elijah, for 
I'm going to call it the video when you're graduating college. Um, if, if you're living under a rock and you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Elijah Burke NASCAR video and you'll see what I'm talking about. But Elijah graduates college, SUNY Brockport. Is that right? You got it. There we go. Um, he has his green cap and gown on, as did I for Michigan State. And he decides kind of to make this NASCAR spoof graduation video thanking his sponsors. But instead of his actual sponsors, it was like Quizlet, Chegg, Rate My Professor, Netflix, etc. And while he's doing this, which is a great acting job by you, by the way, your sister comes, puts on a Credit One bank hat on your head. You got a Coca-Cola. You got a towel. And the whole video was probably like 45 seconds. But it 42 blew, to be exact. <laughs> yeah, it blew up. Like crazy, crazy, crazy blew up. And at this point, like we're really good friends. So I'm like, ha, ah, that's funny. That's Elijah being Elijah. And then I see it like going crazy, going crazy, crazy. And it ended up leading you to where you are today. But let's hit on all that because I'm, I'm intrigued by it. And I know we've talked about it on the surface level, but I don't know if we've dug deep enough into the minutia for it. What was the process planning like for that video? Or was there even a plan to do that? Did it just happen off the cuff? Like, take me back there. Yeah, I think it's funny because during that time, it's 2018, social media's taken off a lot. But the NASCAR community on social is not anything what it looked like right what it looks like right now um and that that was my audience and when i i think two months before i graduated i was like laying in bed one night you know you can't get off your phone just scrolling i'm like i need some kind of like encapsulating type video just to capitalize on that moment when i graduate because you know people post pictures and they're like oh i graduated i'm like nascar and it's like and eh, like you can that's that's cool and fine for everyone but i wanted something that might catch the eye of say a race team as like wow that, that's different and may help my case when i you know have an interview or apply for a job so i thought like how can you intertwine nascar and graduating well i saw this guy for the braves give a nascar style speech i think his name was elliot johnson mm-hmm. um he gave a nascar style speech when he was interviewed and i'm like i could just do that so I walk the stage, I walk out, and my dad's recording with the phone. I have my sister kind of be the little PR girl, um, and she threw the Credit One Bank hat on. And I did, I did it in two takes. And the second take, I was kind of like, you know, I don't think it's that funny. I don't think I want to even post this. I'm just going to post pictures from my graduation, like the cap and the gown. The cap said, like, thanks to my sponsors, and I had, like, you know, the your college sponsors on there, Quizlet, Chag, Netflix. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to post this at all. And I thought about it for just a small bit. And then I ended up posting it, I think, right before I had, I had left. And I remember I went to dinner with my family at Chili's because I love Chili's. Uh, of course. Their chips and salsas and guac is great. I don't know why. But then I ended <laughs> up going back home. And I checked my phone. It's at like, you know, like 150 retweets, like 500 likes. And I'm like, wow, like this is making some kind of impact. And that's just what I thought it would be. And then the next morning it was at like over like 1500 likes. And I'm like, okay, now I know this has some steam. I got like NASCAR commenting. I got NBC, um, NASCAR and Fox. Before I knew it, I had, you know, Richmond Raceway in my DMs. I had NASCAR in my DMs. I had uh, and asked for an NBC asking if they can share it. And I'm like, I don't really know what I did. 
but <laughs> it was it was good enough. I'm like, maybe it isn't that bad. And then you kind of realize like, okay, I was just overthinking it. You know, you always criticize yourself the hardest. And yeah, you're uh, critic. Right. It wasn't that bad. So time begins to go on. And in the next three days, four days, I had been contacted by, you know, everyone that kind of shaped the, the next few months for me, which was NASCAR, uh, Richmond Raceway, um, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Chip Ganassi Racing, even even Credit One Bank wanted to see my resume. Um, and their offices were in Las Vegas. Um, so I didn't really know if I wanted to move out to Las Vegas mm-hmm. as much as I wouldn't mind working for them at all. Um, just wasn't where I wanted to be location wise. So Ganassi was my dream because I'd followed them for a while. Um, and it just all happened to, to work out with a couple interviews, um, and, and being able to secure that job from something that to me, I still look back on Davey. And I think to myself, I could have left that in my drafts and it wouldn't have made sense to post it a week later or two weeks later. It had to be to me in that moment or that weekend. And, you know, it's just, it all, it all came together perfectly. It's one of those God's plan, you know, Drake lyric type things. Um, and here we are now. So you're telling me it almost didn't happen. You almost didn't send that tweet. I, I know it sounds a little dramatic and kind of like, it's just, you add it in for that extra, like, Oh, you almost didn't send it. It might not happen. You might not be here, but I literally almost didn't send it. I was like, mm, nah. And then I got over it. So I, hundred percent almost did not send that damn what could have not been i know i i'd still be talking to you because you've been a, a true day one homie since day <laughs> one but maybe not like this so who is the first like big person or account company whatever that picked it up when you realize you're like all right like th- this is pretty legit was it nascar before they blocked you of course uh, was it NASCAR and NBC? Like, was it Richmond? Uh, what was the first one where you were like, oh, this is actually like becoming a thing? Yeah, well, first said NASCAR and I are all good. We are 10-4 squared away. Everything is yes. great. Um, but I will say that the first person that reached out to me really was, DM-wise, I think it was NASCAR because they – Want to know if I was free the Coke 600 weekend to come down and do like That's a little right. media tour to say the last, you know, and I think um, I was actually already going to do PR for my friend Will Rogers at the time who was running ARCA and it kind of worked out. I did PR for him that day, came back and did some stuff in the Kaplan gown at Charlotte Motor Speedway on Saturday for the Xfinity race and then came back Sunday where they organized something with Chip Ganassi Racing where I got to, you know, like run tires for them and you know, wear one of their crew shirts and, you know, sit on the box a little bit for the race. Yep. Keep in mind back then I'm just a fan. So yeah. I'm just like taking this all in. Like this is before you were professional, Elijah, you were still fanboy. Right. I, I was, I was, a fa- I was the other side of the fence, but finally getting to understand like, okay, here I am. And I already, you know, like I knew the etiquette of like being in the garage and being on pit road. Like I understood all that, but being to talk, being able to talk to the people that I'm like, I'd love to do what you do one day was just totally different. And it was a life-changing experience. Um, and that media media tour per se was, was awesome. It was like a four day thing between Richmond Raceway, yeah. Charlotte, and then back to New York. Uh, it was awesome. So Richmond flew you down there to do like a, a spot. Charlotte flew you down there to do the media tour at, at the track. And then you went back home. But I, I remember the Richmond thing. 
because that's closer to me. And I remember like this whole time we're like in a group chat with some of our friends and you're being like, Richmond wants me to fly down there. We're like, what? Charlotte wants me to go there next. What? And then at some point, CGR themselves contacted you. Was that like at Charlotte during the media thing? Was that after the fact? When did you first make contact with the team themselves? Yes. So it wasn't Chip Ganassi Racing's account that reached out to me. It was one of their uh, former sales members who had reached out to me, a marketing director. And I didn't even know that this guy was legit at first. I thought I was being played, you know, yeah. by like someone who was faking it because, of course. you know, sometimes you're professional with your job and your account, but when these own people reach out to you, some of their accounts might be like a different username. Like I think his username was like hot rod, like guy, like, six four eight or something like that and i was like this just doesn't sound like somebody who might be a marketing director and i'm just like this this just seems fake i was skeptical and then i looked him up on linkedin and i'm like oh he no he is he is like the marketing director so i'm like okay um and he reached out to me initially about just doing an instagram takeover for them at pocono because that was the closest race soonest race uh for my hometown and, and what was coming up on the schedule and I'm like, sure, no, no doubt. I'll love to go. So then he reaches out later. He's like, I might have something bigger for you. And that's when the job opportunity came up because they were trying to look for somebody that was younger, had a digital background and could help with generating leads in the sales department, which I think is a great move by a race team. Because like I said, sales is difficult. When you, when you can bring on someone that, and this is not just me and like anyone who's of this generation who understands or at least can try to understand and work to understand what has to go into it. You already have an, an edge if they're willing to work because you can grow them. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can um, use their background um, in digital and social to do more because that's where companies are investing now is digital and social. So I thought it was a great, interesting move by them and that fit right up my avenue. I mean, I was a business major and I thought it was perfect. So that ended up, coming from that and once again here i am now so the first initial conversation with him like did he offer you the job outright did you like circle back on it later i'm trying to gauge like when you actually got the job offer from them and what your reaction was yeah so i had um an interview over the phone with three people i think he was one of them and like i think the vp another person from sales, I'm not wrong. And I remember one instance, I, I was so nervous because this is like all I ever worked for, I feel like. And it was so soon. I didn't expect it so soon. And because this like whole asking, process is happening in a, in a manner of like legitimately two couple weeks. weeks. Yeah, yeah. I graduated, the video blows up and I'm on the phone interviewing with my dream company like two weeks later. I'm like, this is this is insane. It's literally, it's the feeling of going viral, at least in the NASCAR world. No, legitimately. Yeah. And the questions I thought would be more like, you know, name an instance when you had to use like teamwork and like camaraderie at your other jobs. And it was more like if you could live like, um, with no need to sleep, like what would you do with your extra time? And I'm like, uh, I didn't expect these, but they were good questions. And one of them at the end was like last one, What's your favorite band? And I'm like, Coldplay. Oh, dang. Like, that was the worst possible answer. They probably think, like, no one likes Coldplay. They're all, they're probably like, oh my gosh, this kid likes Coldplay. We can't hire him. 
And I was like, I said the wrong band. I should have said Metallica or something like, like this guy isn't coming and really like lay the hammer down, you know, said Coldplay. So I went with that <laughs> and um, I still got a call back for an interview when I went out to Michigan to work for Will doing PR that mm-hmm. race. They invited me into, uh, it was Chip Ganassi's boss. He wasn't there, of course, but some high level people were there to interview me in person and it was like 45 minutes i remember just you know my hands like shaking almost because i'm like these are people that i've looked up to i knew Mm -hmm. all the names in there just from being in the sport um i knew this is what i want to do and i knew if i did this well i'd probably have a good opportunity at being uh the the next person to work for the company and everything went well everything went smooth shook all their hands pre-covid and then went out and got a call back um a couple days later with an offer and my no one was home it was just me home alone so the neighbors probably heard me but i'm like you know i'm like jumping up and down kind of like this is awesome because it all happened so soon texting my parents and they're kind of like we don't want you to move to north carolina but like we know this is happening so they're kind of like not they're excited and they're supportive but they're like a little bit sad at the same time so Mm -hmm. i'm the only one like jumping up and down they're kind of like we thought we had more time with him type of deal. Yeah. So that was the moment I got the job pacing around my living room, getting a phone call two and a half weeks after the video, which was uh, pretty awesome. I remember I called you right after that too. Like you let us know in the group chat and I called you and you were like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm literally home alone right now. I don't know what to do, but I don't know when I should start packing. I got to like look up a place to live. I'm, I'm going to Charlotte. And I was like, I was, that was like a genuine moment. I, I think, Cause like you don't really get that a lot in any real profession when like you see somebody that's like actually put in the work and like, you know, is deserving of something that was like so genuine and you were so hype about it. I'm curious, like if you were to have told not even just, you know, 10 year old Elijah that I have in my notes, but like even just you three weeks ago when you were about to graduate from college, it's a very cliche question. I understand, but like, this was not on your radar at all. You wanted to work in the sport. You love Chip Ganassi racing because you're a big Larson guy. I understand that. But like this was not even anywhere on your radar three weeks before this went down. No, you're right. hundred percent. Ten year old me, first and foremost, dreamed about doing something, but not even close to what I was offered. I thought I'd have to work my way through, you know, the, the trials of moving down, working for, I don't know, still a grocery store like Wegmans, you know, doing stuff at a pharmacy. I was hoping they'd open one in Charlotte I could work at and then naturally transition to working like for Will or for Ryan. So that was your plan? Wegmans? Red. That was my plan. And they would not open one in Charlotte because they couldn't get one open in time. Damn. Um, but they had one in Raleigh. And I'm like, maybe You did I'll the grunt there. work though, huh? Did Yes, did the groundwork. I had it all laid out. I had the plan and I knew that I knew there was something I felt like personally, like spiritually and God had always led me to move down here and work down here. Like that was my calling type of deal. Just from the outset of my passion for NASCAR, I knew it was what I wanted to do, but 10 year old me would never imagine. I mean, even me in 2017, I'm in the garage yeah. at Daytona, like taking a selfie with Kurt Busch, like, dude, like, thanks. Like, you know, type of like fan type of culture. And now, you know, just, casually working with someone like that 
to look back at it, you know, is, is just crazy for, for anyone. It's, it's, it's like the American dream type thing. It's just being able to work and pursue what you want to do through your own efforts and the help of your brethren and all that. I mean, me two years ago, me three weeks before the graduation, I'll put it back then. I might've mentioned this before to you, but a year before the graduation, if I back up a little further, I was told that I didn't have um, enough time to take all the credits I needed to graduate in the spring. I, they messed up my schedule. I had a, like a fill-in counselor one week who helped me make the schedule and she made it wrong. I'll take part of the blame for not focusing on everything, but she basically made it wrong to, at the end of the day. And I come back and like, yeah, you got to take 44 credits in two semesters to graduate on time. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that while I'm working 25 hours a week and, and get a good enough grade and have a good enough GPA. Mm -hmm. And I was mad. I was angry. And I'm like, you know, I feel like you do, you work hard. It's always rewarded. And I'm like, I'll just do it. 44 credits. And I worked as hard as I could. I stayed up long nights. I worked straight to the day. I had days where I wanted to give up and quit and days where I wanted to keep going because I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel and not more than one hour, I'll say one day maybe, after I graduated, did that dream and that like payoff start to come to fruition. It wasn't like, all right, you work hard and then five years it'll pay off. It was mm -hmm. literally instantaneous from when it paid off. Not the same for everybody, but for me, it was like, wow, like I really was being guided through this. I really was given the strength to do this and the reward now of working for a company that was bigger than my vision ever imagined. And I'm still here today. So it's, it's something that I, I will always be able to look back on and tell as like a story of faithfulness and hard work paying off. It really is like, it's what dreams are made of. Seriously. Yeah. It's like, just listen to you talk about it again and like living through it with you as a friend. Like when it was happening, I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe his dreams coming true. And even now, like looking back on it, it's nuts that it legitimately happened that way. It's, it's, it's one of the coolest stories ever. I mean, like you're pretty well known in the NASCAR social community for sure. So like people know your story, but the reason why I wanted to have you on was to hear the backstory behind the story and how this actually all happened. And, to hear that, like it literally did just happen with the press of a button and just sending that tweet. It, it's, it's so cool that it, that it all happened that way. I, and, and now that you've been in this role for, for a few years and it all was sparked by that creative tweet, like where does your creativity come from? Because you have a, like a bunch of hidden talents. You play the piano, you sing, um, like you have all these different things that are going on in your mind. And they all stem from this creative juju that you have. Like you have a Rolodex of memes, some you make yourself, some you just have at a moment's notice. How does this happen? Like, is this something that you acquired? Is this something that was always innate in you, the creativity aspect of things? Do you have to hone your craft with that? Can you like enlighten me and try to make me as creative as you? <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And I'm very humbled. Um, I think it's like a, it's a God-given gift type of thing because I've had it. I've had this ability, I feel like, and at the end of the day, you, you only know how you look at the world and how you look at things because you'll only live in your own body at the end of the day. So I don't know how other people look at things, but I do know in certain situations growing up that I felt like in times I'm just, I'm just different. 
not not different like a different breed and like he's special type I'll of different, different. yeah I'm, I'm different yeah it's <laughs> not like that it was more just like i approach things differently and sure. some of it's a some of it's a blessing and some turns to be a curse at the end of the day um i'm a huge overthinker my mind is always thinking of something to do with what happened or what's going on tomorrow and sometimes out of out of those overthinking moments come these these memes because like in my mind i'm like making connections of numbers and past events and what's going to happen what's going on and i'm just you can't shut it off it's just always in in my mind i mm. i i'm like like when i'm talking to someone i'm listening and i'm taking what you're saying but my mind is also continuing to think of other things I get it. And sometimes it harms you when you want to go and say something and you're like you're thinking of a million things you got to process one but when you have time like for me if i can sit down I can type things out. I can go on Google and research things. If you give me time, I'll come up with something creative, I feel like. And that's what Twitter has always been because you don't have to be funny off the cuff. I try to be, but I'm, I'm really not that kind of guy. You, you, can be, you can be funny with time. No one knows how much time it took you to put up a tweet. But the fact is it was funny or it wasn't or it was creative or it wasn't. And if you have time you're better, at least for me, you're better off, uh, you know, able, you're better able to make a tweet that ends up doing something good. And I had time with the graduation tweet. I had time to write things out. I did it two months in advance and let it sit there and thought about it and kind of let it mature in my mind. Um, like the cheese it commercial, you know, you have tweets that are like not mature and check off that box, like with the cheese at cheese. <laughs> and you got things that are like mature and able to enter the real world. <laughs> and then you got your drafts, which are things that are like unspoken that you probably never put out because they're drafts for a reason. So, you know, I, it's always been in my mind, but it's something if you sit down, you work on it, it grows. And right now I'll tell you, Davey, there has been so much work in a good way with my job and creating content. I feel like if I had two of me, I could do a lot better, but I haven't, I've had no time to sit down and try to be creative. Yeah. So I feel like the Twitter games been lacking for me a little bit, but I'm fine with that because I'm trying to do my best to work with that creativity and, and give it to the team that's given so much to me instead of for personal gain. So it's it's in there. It, it can grow, but right now we're focusing on the team. If your creativity is lacking, then, geez, I don't even want to know what's on the horizon because it's just like every time I go on Twitter, I see something that's just like, Oh, Elijah, back at it again, going semi-viral with the with the creative tweet. Like, it just always happens for you. So if you're if you're lacking right now, I don't even know what the future holds. I think it's a well, baby. One day it's just gonna run dry, and <laughs> I, I feel like it, I continuously take big buckets of water out of that well, and now it's just gonna be dried up one day, and <laughs> I'm gonna be old and weak. So, well, if it ends up drying up, I I, I might know a guy. I, I'll get you some water. Yeah, NASCAR no chasm has all the water. He always has. He does. Well, he does. Steve Luvender does too. We had him on a oh. couple episodes ago. Yes, he's amazing. Big, big fan. So I mentioned that you're like a piano player. You're like kind of a legitimate musician, I feel like. What other hidden talents do you have? Can you like woo any other ladies with any other musical instruments? Guitar, maybe? Um, I, I do. I can play guitar, uh, acoustic and electric. I have not picked one up in a little bit, except the other morning when I was playing, um, what's up by four non blondes. Cause who doesn't love that song? Um, but those are the two. And I really did try to learn those to impress a girl back when I was, uh, 
you know, in like middle school, high school. Well, it's paying off now. Paying off now. It's not the girl, but um, it's still <laughs> a talent that I've used for my life. And I think it's funny you mentioned that because when I was hired at Ganassi, the guy who first noticed me was like, I saw you played piano and guitar. So I knew you had creative ability because people who can play instruments or play them at least somewhat well tend to have a better creative ability because in music you're consistently creating things and you're learning how to create just with sound. Interesting. So I thought that was interesting. Cause I'm like, I never saw that because I'm just like, well, I'm just going to play this. But once I started to look at people who play instruments, I'm like, they are creative people. So, you know, that kind of gave me a boost of confidence. Like, Hey, you know, I can, I can go out there and do this. So those are two hidden talents. I can, I used to be able to name you, you know, um, where a certain driver could finish in any, any race, um, for certain drivers, not all. I, I can name you every NASCAR champion, Daytona 500 winner from 2001, maybe. Um, I could probably do that as well. Talent. That's I, I can make a real good stake. I've learned that since quarantine. Um, <laughs> that's about it, Davey. There's nothing much to me besides NASCAR music, uh, stake, I guess. That's it. I'm the same way, except substitute music for like food or other sports, Michigan State. I don't know. I mean, when you look at it like that, we kind of lead boring lives, I guess. Yeah, we really do. But then you look at how much we've expanded on that. And if you find the one, she accepts you for it. It's like, that's right. If she likes it, well, whole new level, man. We got good ladies in our life. Speaking of that, you recently did a ride along. Or did you do a drive in the Richard Petty driving experience at Michigan? Drove, yeah. How fast you go? Like 150? 152 is a top speed. At a boy. Was, dude, that those things, they may look slow when you're watching them, but when you're behind the wheel, you're like, they actually go. Well, they look slow when you're watching because you're used to seeing a cup car go 210 right. miles an hour down in turn one. So when you're going 152, it's like a walk in the park. And then you think about they go 50 miles an hour faster down the straightaway in real life. And nice. you're like, this is just, it's nuts. What was your like resting heart rate after that? I don't, I never took it and I should have, but you're like, once you got to like the seventh or eighth lap, you're kind of like, I really got the hang of this. I could do this because those cars are built to not spin out. But then they pull you in because I only did an eight, uh, eight yeah. lap or eight minute ride, whatever you want to call it. And dude, at a place like Michigan where it's wide open and you kind of like, you got a spotter in your ear, it's awesome. And I, I actually got to meet the spotter um, through my girlfriend who works there now, but I didn't know who he was when I was doing the ride along. And I'm like, I just want to like press the radio. You can key up the spotter and talk to him. I want to key it up and be like, I'm dropping the hammer. I'm going to bump into him and spill his macchiato or something. <laughs> and I talked to him later. He's like, dude, I totally would have like, you know, radio back to you and been like, no, you're not. <laughs> like man i wish i knew it was you i'm like i paid 300 bucks for this i might as well just do it and i'm like no my spotter's probably like i've heard this line so many times i'm so annoyed everyone does this um but i i'm like man i gotta do it again and yeah as a spotter so i can just scream those things and maybe throw on like you know kickstart my heart my airpods or something like that underneath my helmet and just i selfishly also want to do it so next time you go let me know and i'll i'll drop the hammer too dude come to charlotte man like it's they do it at night sometimes here and that that i want to do night race at charlotte we can be there out in the track at the same time be fun 
So those cars, you said they're like built to not spin out. So you never felt like tight, loose, anything. It was more so just like just hold, just hold her straight through the corner. No, I don't even know what tight and loose feels like in a real race car because it's my first <laughs> fair, time. Fair. I was I was just trying to get up to the gears because I had never ever driven a manual before, and I had to learn via YouTube. Uh, I knew how it worked from just watching NASCAR all these years, but I'm like, you it's know, different the, than doing it. Yeah, yeah, pushing the clutch and like not stalling it, and it was a little hop and skippy off of uh, the initial start. But once it got going, I'm like, this ain't that bad. Yeah. Um, so it, it was it wasn't tight it wasn't loose but you feel like it's tight when you go in the corner and your body wants to go into the turn three wall because of the g-forces and you're trying like your neck is trying to like you know keep your body up and it's like yeah. i wonder why these drivers do neck reps doing this <laughs> you know 400 times in a race is probably not fun probably how is your 164 diecast collection going i see that it's gotten bigger and bigger and you're almost at the end I, the NASCAR champion one, I'm almost at the end, Davey. And it's funny because I, I texted you and I said, bro, <laughs> do you have any Kevin Arvick 2014 Budweiser? I'm oh, don't right tell now. me you got it. Don't tell me you got it. You probably do. No, I don't I don't see any right now, but my room was also low-key a mess. I, I know you were a Kevin Harvick junkie, so they're probably like a stash them under your bed because there are none on eBay. <laughs> probably. I can't find any. Um, it's bizarre. Just, the... Budweiser champion car with the championship logo on the roof. Yeah. That one. Yeah. That one I can't find. Um, I'm trying to find for people who don't know. I'm trying to find a champion car or a car was the main paint scheme from the champion that year, every year from 86 until 2020. Um, and I think oh, I, I didn't know you're going back to 86, back to 86. Okay. I think I have like six or seven to go. And it's like the bill Elliott coolers, 88 car, couple of Jimmy Johnson cars. And it's like, at this point I could go out and just buy all of them except for the Harvick one, because I can't find it, mm -hmm. but I kind of like the hunt. So I'll go like antiquing. I'll go to the tents outside the track. And I'm like, just trying to find them naturally. And then eventually I'll be like, all right, I'll go on eBay and pay yeah. a ridiculous 26 bucks for it. If I really want to, <laughs> but it's more fun with the hunt. No, I, I agree. The, the, the hunt is part of the charm when you're, when you're collecting die cast, my girlfriend doesn't understand it and she judges me for it. So Same I here. hope that your girlfriend is a little bit more understanding. She, um, she'll go antiquing with me, but not to look for die cast. I think she just, she just hates them even more and <laughs> half of them end up in my closet because you don't have enough room to display them. Yeah, me and too. that doesn't I, make any I'm sense out of room. But you tell her, you're like, listen, I'm investing for my future. These cars yes. hold their value. One day you can sell them or pass them down. And yeah. I'm talking, I got $10,000 worth of stuff in here. Don't come easily. Dude, easily. I, I'm telling her, I'm like, look, my son or daughter, I will pass all of these down to them and they will be the envy of all of their friends when they're like mm -hmm. 15 years old. So I'm doing them yeah. a favor. I'm just hoping that like the cars of this generation don't end up being looked upon with the cars of the 80s where it's like, you know, the stuff that just ends up warming the pegs at the antique stores and the tents where like yeah. no one will buy them. And they're like in the dollar bins. I'm just hoping some of these, like, like you buy, like, for instance, I just bought a, a Haley Deegan, like 124, like I think the, um, one of her K&N wins. And I'm like, this will hold the value because you know, she's going to stick around for a while and you know, that car already is worth a lot. And I'm like, to me, that's just going to end up like, you know, it's going to end up being something to display because I like it, but it's not just going to lose its value and be worth five bucks in yeah. the future. 
It's going to be something where a Haley Deegan fan in 20 years would be like, I got to collect everything from the first, the first edition. And they're going to have to go back. And I'm like, I got that one for, I don't know how much it'll be worth. Exactly. It's an investment. It's an investment. It really is. All right. I know I've kept you too long, so we'll wrap up here. I got some Twitter questions for you from some of the fans that sent in their questions. Oh, all right. All zero of them. All right. Here we go. Diego Alvarado. Never heard of him. Who's your favorite E-NASCAR, E-Heat, E-Pro, E-League, E-Driver, and why is it me? E-I-E-Don't-E-Know-E-If-E-It is E-Diego. I can't understand your accent. Next bus leaves in five seconds. Five seconds. <laughs> um, I think that my two favorite are my drivers. Um, Diego is assuming it's it's him, which if I didn't have a stake in this game, I didn't work for any of the teams, I would probably say it's him because he's been a day one homie too. Absolutely. Um, and I wish the best for him. He did really good this year. Um, definitely stepped up his game from the first season. And I think he'll step it up again next year. Um, I got to go with like Maxwell Castro and Luis Sater. It's a tie. I mean, they're both great guys. They both run for the team. No bias at all. Um, so those are my two guys. And then he actually followed that up and said, no, but for real, has there been any surprises while working at CGR or is it exactly what you thought it'd be? Um, I think 2020 is a surprise for everyone. <laughs> Facts <Really? laughs> can, can yes. confirm. There's a surprise every year. I think a big surprise um, has just been, I think I, I did not really see um, Ross particularly going to our 42 car for next year. And I'm very excited about that. A pleasant surprise. I thought with all the free agents out there, he might've chose someone different, although he's been one of our development drivers over the years. I don't know if he'd be in Xfinity for another year with mm-hmm. colleague. So that's a big surprise to me. And I am very thrilled to work with him next year. I think he's going to do great things. This is from Isaac Jackal. I think at Wimmer 33 fan. Do you miss Scott Wimmer? I say no, he's not going to like me anymore. But the real answer anyway is yes. I do miss Scott Wimmer, just like Bob Pockris, just like Isaac, and just like the entire NASCAR community. We mourn to see Scott Wimmer. And I know, Isaac, you're looking for a Scott Wimmer fire suit on Facebook. I hope that turns up for you, buddy. I miss Scott Wimmer. I also miss Scott Riggs. That number 10 Valvoline car was something. You know, I miss James Busher, and guess who's bringing him back? Nice, baby. They're just they're taking drivers you thought were gone. Trevor Bain and James Bush <laughs> yeah, are like really back. 2020 in a nutshell, isn't it? Seriously, that's a surprise. Next few questions come from somebody you may know well. Her name's Carlene. With CGR having a team in the E NASCAR Pro Heat League, how is it different creating content for that league as opposed to live racing? You touched on that a little bit, but I'm sure that it has to be different doing that. Yes, Miss Carlene, that's a great question. I think one of the difficult parts is your drivers can't just swing by the shop to shoot videos with you because they're on other sides of the country. Um, the NASCAR cup drivers, IndyCar drivers, you know, I see them more times than I will ever see the EE pro league drivers. So if we have to create content with them, including them, we got to do it all in one day. And we might not even have that day, honestly, with everything going on with COVID. So it's a difficult to create a lot of content when you don't have time with the drivers in person. Okay, real quick, I'm going to do one more from Carlene because I have a bigger one that I want to ask, and then we got to go. But what has been your favorite moment or experience since you've been with the Ganassi team? Um, I think winning when Kurt Busch won Kentucky because the week before with Matt McCall, 
and um, tweets and all that. Yep. When he read those off after Daytona and the lightning, it just had the perfect transition to go in and win the next race. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I had an integral part in coming to him and saying, you got to do mean tweets and that being talked about in the broadcast when Kurt had won and shown in the broadcast multiple times, it made me look good. It made our team look good. Um, and we won, so we were good. Um, and that's just, that's my favorite team moment because I yeah. knew that I added value and that was, you know, satisfying for me. That's cool. All right. Last one. And I think this is a really, really good question. And I'm all, I'm honestly mad at myself that I wasn't going to ask you this before, but this comes from my boy, Aaron Bearden. He said, this is up to us if it's discussed, but he's curious. Elijah came to CGR with Kyle Larson as a favorite. Now he's been through this chaotic year with the group. Kyle Larson is gone and seemingly going elsewhere in 2021. Has that been weird, awkward, how he'd process that and work through it? So I know that's kind of a lot to dissect, but that is a very interesting question because I got to know you as the Kyle Larson fan, and a lot of people on Twitter knew you as that as well. So seeing this tumultuous year that he's had off track and you were kind of at the epicenter of it being at CGR. How has that all been? Yeah, I don't think it's it's awkward or weird, honestly, to me. I think at the end of the day, and like you said, I grew up before I was ever working for this team. Everyone knows my background. I was a huge supporter and follower of, of his going through, you know, racing. And I would, I would make, when he got announced to the 42 car in 2013, I made my own Kyle Larson hoodie because they hadn't made merchandise yet. Like I wanted to rep it. I wanted to wear it. I knew where he'd finish. I knew a race he was running. I watched truck race. If he was in it, Xfinity race, if he was in it. And when I got hired, it really, really was because of my, my fandom, because without that, I wouldn't have cared about CGR as much. I, I wouldn't have got to know their history and appreciate it. Yep. I wouldn't have wore that credit one bank hat in my interview if it mm -hmm. wasn't for all that. And I wouldn't have got noticed by, you know, CGR and them. So that all happened for a reason. And, you know, I, I think everything happens for a reason at the end of the day. And what, what happened happened. And, you know, I think we've seen that from a per this is just me speaking personally, or I think we've seen he's grown as a person to get to where he is now um, to be accepted and reinstated. Um, and I think, you know, he's going to go do great things. He's a great driving talent. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a great, um, you know, a great ambassador for, for racing in general. And I think that he's going to have a good, a good run. I think I wish him success wherever he goes, because I know he's talented Hendrick. and yeah, I know he's talented wherever, wherever he goes. So not awkward, not weird, just a, a process, um, you know, that you have to go through as, as a business and as an employee, just, it just happens. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, but you know, I'm happy for 2021. Got Chastain, got Kurt Busch, and it's going to be a good year, my man. I think we're uh, hopefully that 2021 marks the end of 2020 things, not yeah, just the end please. of 2020, and we'll be uh, in the clear for a little bit. All right. Well, that was awesome. Thank you for the time, my guy. I am. Uh, I'm proud to be your friend. Proud to have known you through it all. Started at the bottom, literally, and now we're here. Uh, so, dude, keep on digging at CGR. You're killing it over there. Thanks for being a, a true A1 homie and a Clap9 supporter. We appreciate it. And thanks for coming on Victory Lane for probably as what, like the third time. I You might be the first third time guest on the show. Hey, three for Dale, man. This might be the last one just in honor <laughs> of him. Uh, I appreciate it, Davey. You are the man. It wouldn't be possible without you. 
you literally are Davy the man Siegel. So it's true. It makes sense. Um, I appreciate it though, man. And um, if you ever need anything from me, shoot me a text. Uh, one day, if I ever have a podcast, which I'm not talented enough to host one like you are, please be the first guest I have on. So, wow, that's high praise. Well, I'll hold you to that if it happens. All right, remember this first guest, me on the Elijah Burke show. You got it. You got it. Thanks, Davy. I appreciate it. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that chat. I was thinking about breaking up into two parts, but I have a couple other episodes in the can. I've not recorded them, but I do have those episodes, interviews of them lined up and ready to go for next week and the rest of the year. So cross your fingers. That was me knocking on wood, hoping that it all comes to fruition. Um, So we'll get some more cool guests lined up for you. But thank you to Elijah for his time. Really appreciate it. Just a really cool guy. Good friend to have. And, uh, Really appreciate him chatting with me for the third time on Victory Lane in the first and second iteration. Let's preview Texas Motor Speedway, the not penultimate race of the season, but penultimate race of the round of eight. Harvick, Kevin Harvick, has won three of the last six races there. I think all those three wins were in the playoffs, so he's going for four in a row in the playoff race at Texas. That could be pretty interesting if you were to do that. And nobody's rooting for him more than Denny Hamlin because he did not have a good day at Kansas. Rebounded for a top 15, but slammed the wall. And now his big points buffer from the playoff points he accumulated all year, that's pretty much gone. He's only up 20 points. So let's look at the playoff picture, shall we? Denny is plus 20. Brad is plus 9. Chase Elliott is the first driver below the cutoff, minus 9. Alex Bowman is 19 points back. Martin Truex Jr. is 23 points back. Kurt Busch is 65 points back. So if you're Bowman, Truex, and Kurt, you're probably going to have to win a race at Texas or Martinsville to get into the championship four. Chase could probably still point his way in, but still, I mean, that nine points is not not a small margin. So it's going to probably be in his best interest to just go out and win a race. And like I said, Now that Joey's in, there's three spots left. So if you're Denny Hamlin, you're rooting for Kevin Harvick to win. And if you're Kevin Harvick, you're rooting for Denny Hamlin to win. Harvick will probably be fine regardless, but Denny's mulligan is now gone. 20 points is still a good margin, but it's not what it once was. So we shall see. And who knows? Maybe we'll even get a non-playoff driver who wins this race. Because Austin Dillon won earlier this season at Texas on strategy. Maybe Timmy Hill can whip out his iRacing sim and (laughs) win on that too. I joke, I joke. But I'll look for the one car, the 88, the 19, and even the 9 to run well because they they all have to. Because if they don't win this race and they don't win Martinsville, they'll probably be going home. You're going to have to win if you're below the cut line. That's the bottom line. Um, Chase has the ability to point his way in. But again, he's probably going to have to win if he wants to assure himself of a spot. Green flag set to fly Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Xfinity is in action on Saturday at 4.30. Trucks in action at noon on Sunday. Two ARCA West races at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California on Friday. And Kern County Raceway Park on Sunday. Look nuts of the week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Lots of silly season news dropped this week. Some stuff that we already thought was going to happen because we've seen the rumor mills speculating on social media. Seats are being filled and being filled quick. Chase Briscoe to the number 14 car at Stewart Haas Racing replacing Clint Boyer. Tony Stewart, Smoke, told him and uh, actually got that on video at his house. It was Chase, his family, his sponsors, and Smoke, and they got that reaction on video. That was really, 
Really cool to see. Highpoint.com will be going with him to the Cup Series. Congratulations to Chase. Eric Jones is going to be going to the 43 car at Richard Petty Motorsports on a multi-year deal. Jerry Baxter, the crew chief, will be staying there, and the sponsors will be announced at a later date. So definitely a downgrade for Eric Jones, but considering what was available, kind of the best he could do. Kyle Larson has been officially reinstated by NASCAR. Statements were put out by both NASCAR and Larson themselves. Um, And there was also some terms of Larson's reinstatement that he's going to have to abide by for not only this year, but the next few years in terms of repairing the the damage and the hurt that he's caused. So he's definitely been doing everything and more that he should and, and has to be doing in order to get back into NASCAR. And I think once the championship four either comes or is done, you're going to see Larson to Hendrick be announced pretty, pretty soon. And there were some penalties announced this week, but nothing major, just some lug nuts. Rodney Childers, Adam Stevens, and James Small all had one loose lug nut on their cup car, so they got fined 10,000 big ones. And Drew Blickensdurfer, crew chief for Haley Deegan in the truck series, her debut, of course, as we chatted about, also had a loose lug nut, so he was fined 2,500 big ones as well. A little bit of a longer episode this week, but... Wanted to keep things stagnant and not break it up into two parts with our interview with Elijah, but I thank you for sticking with me through it. Thanks for listening to episode 78 of Victory Lane 2.0, of course. If you like what you heard today you want to do me a favor, please leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast. It is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Anywhere you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line, and I will hopefully rectify that issue for you. Next week, I'm not going to jinx who we have on, but it should be a truck series regular. Yeah, we're moving up in the world, aren't we? we got to start small, but we're working our way up. Peace and love, my dude and dudettes. We'll catch you on the flip side.